Hello, and welcome to The Word on the Hill. My name is Father Peter Musset. My name is Scott Powell. We are the Lanky Guys. That was the cleanest intro I think we've ever had. You just went right in. You didn't sing anything. You didn't put the words in a backwards order. (laughs) (laughs) It was really funny because I I actually, I could feel myself doing it in this super straightforward way, and it felt weird. Oh, I liked it. This is our personalities <laughs> coming out. This is a great explanation of who we are. Yeah. Well, you guys, um, it's uh, it's a real pleasure to have you back uh, listening. And it is indeed. We are um, we are uh, in a weird world, and the sun is shining. <laughs> oh, so this is this is what happened. Is okay. that is that a lot of the I think smoke? I know where you're going. The, yeah. A lot of the smoke from Colorado last night. The wind. The winds came in. The winds. At least and on the, the rain. front range. At least where we are. The winds and the rain, and and they actually. Oh. This is a moment where actually the weathered people predicted this. Did they? <laughs> yeah, I read an article and they That's... said they said by Thursday oh. we're going to have a lot clearer skies. Oh, it, this morning was so nice to not be have all this. I mean, I know I, I hesitate to say that because I know people are still suffering on the western slope and these fires are still raging and stuff. But but it is nice to have a little respite here in Boulder and we can see the mountains again. We haven't seen the mountains in like weeks. I know it's it's, it's rough. It's been this wild thing and like the this the the light isn't tinged that kind of yellow orange. No, it actually is clear. Yeah, it's it's actually it, it feels really nice and yeah. I and like my throat doesn't just have that kind of like <laughs> right. smoke ache. The constant tickle. Yeah. So so it's it's just really nice. It's um I, I hope that um if the if the weather or the struggles or the hurricanes or the tsunamis yeah, or the earthquakes or the I don't think that's l- lightning strikes or any sort of aggressive weather, if you're enduring it right now, it will break. You weather, know, like weather aggression. Weather aggression. <laughs> that's just how it is. Well, it's your twenty second Sunday in ordinary time. Yes. And on this twenty second Sunday in ordinary time, our first reading is coming from the book of Jeremiah. The bullfrog. Yeah, I knew it was coming. Uh, chapter twenty. You prompted verse... me by saying. I know it. With, well, I paused. Like the, I gave a, pause. a pregnant pause, awaiting <laughs> your, your response. This is. We know each other for the cool. fertile joke. <laughs> uh, Jeremiah chapter twenty verses seven through nine, and then our psalm is uh, Psalm sixty-three, mm. two to six, eight through nine, with the response coming from sixty-three two b. Oh, chapter sixty-three two. Yes. Our second reading is coming from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Which is 1, 2, 1, 2. This one, is the, two, micro, this one, is the two, microphone two. check. Yeah, that's good. Microphone checker. Check, check. Yeah. Okay. And then our <laughs> gospel is from Matthew 16, 21 to 27, with the longest gospel acclamation ever. It's Ephesians 1, 17 through 18. It's a full two verses of scripture. I have a thought on Jeremiah that I think will resonate with you. Um, that I actually, so I, I had studied these readings and then I, and I don't, I don't know if there's any mileage in this or not, but I, it was significant to me because of something that happened to me this week. Um, and I do think it's going to resonate with you okay. about something Jeremiah. So the, the, and this is a contextual thing. So the passage that we get from Jeremiah, I didn't mean to cut you off or stop you and just jump in. No, no, no. We were on the level, man. Okay, <laughs> So th- this is a, a fairly well-known passage from Jeremiah that I think can apply One of the most in many well-known. circumstances. Yeah. This is the mantra of many of those of us who have worked in ministry for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and any of you who have been in ministry for a long time know this, this feeling. 
And it's good. There's something beautiful about that, that Jeremiah actually is able to articulate something that's real and that, that, that happens. But this is where when he's, he's pretty deep into his ministry, which is primarily speaking a word of judgment and condemnation against his own people, against Jerusalem, against the temple, the hypocrisy of the religious leaders in the time, and predicting and foretelling the coming punishment from the Babylonians that's on its way. Uh, and this, what he says here, you, you duped me, O Lord, and I let myself be duped. You were too strong for me and you triumphed. All the day I'm, I'm, I'm an object of laughter and everybody mocks me. This is coming hot on the heels of him speaking a word of condemnation against one of the temple leaders. After that, temple leader has basically thrown him into prison. He's getting beaten. He's getting just just beat up in Pashur. such a profound way. Yeah, yeah, Pashur. And he changes his name. To uh, something terror like terror on every side. Terror on every side because you're basically because this this temple leader, this priest, is leading the people into a situation where they will have ter- terror on every side. Well, well, no, but this is funny. Is that, so what happens is that is that um, Jeremiah goes and says the word of the Lord says, you know, blah blah blah. The, yeah. uh, the earth and flask, everything's going to go bad. Yeah, and. Um, and, Which it does. And then Pashur says to him, the word of the Lord came to me and said, your new name is terror on every side. It's almost like this yeah. weird, like, like it, it's almost like um, I, I hear a tone of like, you know how it's like when it, everything just feels like bullies. It just literally every single moment when I'm reading about Pashur just reminded me of middle school. He is a bully. He's absolutely bull. I mean, he's bullying Jeremiah, and the um, and so it's like it's and then then he gets everybody else to call him that name. Yeah, no, he does. And so so it's like so it's it's just one of those things to where if you, I, I actually wanted to say this. I was like I was like Scott, have you ever had somebody like a bully like give you a bad nickname and it catch on? Yes. Yeah. I did. Yeah. And it wasn't that bad. I don't have a name that lends itself very much to mockery, which is handy. It's been good. Right. But there was this one time it was in, it was like maybe middle school or sixth grade. I feel like it was sixth grade. And this one kid, and I won't say his name because there's good reasons. Yeah. um, He would always see me in the hallway and he would go, Scotty, Scotty. I was like, I hated it. And it's not that creative, but it's not that good of a name. <laughs> but I hated it. And everyone laughed and they would do it. And I don't like so. so, yes. Right, dude. Mine, Short answer. Mine was muskrat, dude. Oh. They'd be like, what's up, muskrat? It's the worst, isn't and, it? And I was just like, uh, and, and it's what do like, you do? You're just like, hey. And then, like, and then everybody, <laughs> and then they like, other people snicker and laugh with yeah. this stupid nickname. And yeah, you're like, right. And, and it's like, it doesn't really like, it's it's just it's just it's you just this little dig right it's like there's there but th- that's why i look and like terror on every side like like i just see hey like, terror on every side what's up terror on every side give me him a noogie <laughs> right no like well actually a little more than a noogie yeah i know <laughs> kicked him in his face yeah i know he i mean he really is getting but He's literally getting beat up by pashur he absolutely is and but the thing that I, was it note was of note about this, and then I'll get to the context in just a second. But the thing that is of note of this to me is that right before Jeremiah says what he says here, "You dupe me, O Lord, and I let myself be duped." I mean, he really does call Pashur out, right? He he calls him out in a yeah. pretty big way. Yes. But what I I don't know if I I want to say I like about it, but what I think is important to me about it is that Jeremiah takes no joy in it. And there's this sense, and you know, it's like every like '80s movie and stuff, where the the bullied kid finally wins and is vindicated, and like calls out the bully or whatever it is, right? Right. This is Jeremiah calling out the bully in a lot of ways, and he is going to see punishment for what he's done. 
But Jeremiah takes no joy in this. It's not like, ha ha, I've got the upper hand. And I just think there's something important as we as a Christian people move through a world of confusion and chaos and danger and everything else. And we want to call out, you know, oppression and and, um, persecution and everything else that we don't become the bullies of the world. And Jeremiah never does that. He always has the stance of humility toward this to the point that he's crying out to God saying, I I didn't want to do this. Like, this is not what I signed up for. You duped me into this and I let myself be duped. And I'm now I'm an object of laughter. And, And the reason I bring that up. So here's what my I don't know if it's an insight, but it was a reflection, I guess. I was um, so the other night. There's a, a tiny bit of context. The other night, I was uh, with a with a, a small group of old old friends of mine. Not that these friends were really really old, but they've been friends for a long time. And we were gathering at uh, the house of an an old youth minister that I had in high school. And there was a handful of us just sitting around. Some people, some folks say I hadn't hung out with in a long time, and we were just talking about the glory days of high school. You know, in mm-hmm. our in our particular youth group that. Um, I don't know, maybe maybe lots of people say this, but I, I think it was sort of a singular um, group of folks who really love Jesus Christ in this really profound way. It was an evangelical youth group that I was a part of before I kind of came back to the church and understood my Catholic faith. But we were just kind of reflecting on like, wow, that was that was a really unique moment. And that, you know, now that we have kids and some of us have worked in ministry, like recognizing like, wow, God gave us a huge gift in those friendships and that kind of devotion to each other and all this stuff. Like that was unique and that was really special. And I was reminded of something I've heard before, um, which was, uh, I'm actually stealing this from Ross Douthit, who was, uh, he's a New York Times columnist. We brought him to speak last year. Do you remember this? Yeah. He made the case that every, a lot of, many, most generations of people tend to think that the period of time when they were kind of coming of age, right? High school, college kind of a thing. Right. Was like the greatest time in history. Everybody kind of thinks that. And he makes the case, and he's our age, he makes the case that maybe it's true for one particular group, which is us. And we've talked about this a lot. Like we're talking about like mid or late mid to late nineties kind of a thing when Honestly, I was falling in love with Jesus Christ and and falling in love with the faith, and I would eventually find my way back into the fullness of, of the Catholic Church. But the '90s, not only was there great music, right? You know, you got Pearl Jam and Nirvana, and like all the all the stuff that I just loved. Yeah, really good movies like The Matrix came out when Batman's were still good. Like all all the stuff was. <laughs> it, we were in between the Cold War and the War on Terror. There was enough internet that there were cool things happening, but not enough internet that everyone was stuck on their screens and on their phones and stuff, right? We were in between economic collapses, right? The the depression of the 80s was gone. The housing crisis and the dot-com bubble hadn't happened yet. Like, we right. were sort of in this moment of relative peace. Like, things were okay in the world. And people like you and I had the freedom to kind of explore our world in a sort of state of peace. And that's the time that you and I were both discovering in a, in a particular way, the Catholic faith and right. John Paul II and his writings Mother Teresa. and Mother Teresa and, and Archbishop Chaput, who is you know such a hero of mine and a friend, and like things were good, and that's the period of time that we kind of got brought into this world, and now we live in 2020 where everything is crazy and everything is hard, and you kind of want to look back and be like, man. This is not, no, I don't know if I signed up for this. Like, this is hard. The Christian life is hard. And ministerial life is hard and right. living things out. And I was reflecting on the fact that Jeremiah, what, what does this have to do with anything? Jeremiah's call came about during one of the brighter spots in Israel's history. So he was called to be a prophet during the reign of a guy named King Josiah. And if you remember Josiah, Josiah was the one 
who was kind of doing renovations on the temple and they discovered the law of Deuteronomy that nobody had been following. And he called the people to this great repentance and penance and and was actually trying to be the image of God on earth. And things were good. And that's the time period in which Jeremiah was called by God to be a prophet. And he's like, yeah, I can do this. Absolutely. Like, let's let's go. I want to be your prophet and I'll be your messenger. And then everything goes bad. And then he is killed by the Egyptians and terrible kings come to power and corruption comes in and sin and idolatry and and evil players on the world stages and national threat and war and destruction. And Jeremiah's like, but I, I kept thinking about that context for you duped me. And I let myself be duped. Like I was called into this and, and God uses those moments. He knows he's going to call, he knows he's going to call us to something hard. So sometimes he uses a period of brightness and of peace to call us into this moment, knowing that part of it is preparation for the really hard times that are to come. Right. Does that analogy make any sense? Absolutely. That's what I was reflecting on. Absolutely. I mean, that's like, uh, and I'm not trying to say, Oh, life is terrible for us. It's so hard. Like well, no, we're okay. Right. We're fine, but I, it's hard. I see it imaged in in Jesus's life at the in his baptism, that that there's like the, yeah, the, yeah. there's a peace, and you actually yeah, revisit right. some of that peace, and there's something idyllic, and yeah, you right. say like, and I think actually like like it's like the transfiguration into the um, it's like the transfiguration into the cross. The apostles needed the transfiguration to make it into right. the whole passion, right? Because you need a little bit of fuel, and you yes. need to remember like there was. I, I've been reflecting on that recently, like like there was. There was a there was some real crazy, but like of course there was. But honestly, it's like I we remember were kind of insulated from go, it though. I remember driving around, going from coffee house to coffee house, reading poetry, and you know, yeah. staying up on, on mountains and and like right? just enjoying ourselves and like right. and like there was there was a general parental freedom because there was a peace in the world and yeah, and like, we and weren't afraid of stuff. We weren't afraid of school shootings and and all the the chaos. Right, like like yeah, you might get in a fight, but but like <laughs> yeah. you, you just knew where to avoid to not. Have that not happen? You know, <laughs> right. it's like you might get yeah. mugged, but like it'll just be a little something. You know, yeah. like, we grew up in different neighborhoods, but that's <laughs> no. I mean, I'm just thinking about like, yeah, no, in general, yes, yeah, yes, and of just course. in general, it's like you, yeah. you know, I I would walk from one side of downtown all the way through downtown to to the east side of Denver yeah. at night, yeah, alone. You but you weren't afraid of that. I wasn't afraid of that, and yeah. and you know, and you and 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 but but it's but it's now it's also like oh, it reminds me of what a vision of what peace is like. And yes, it, and it gives me it gives me a vision to remember that um, there is a there is a possibility of a world that looks interesting in that way that, and can deepen even past that. That's the positive spin on it. My negative spin, and this is this is uh, trying to be self reflective, is that I hope I hope if I was in high school today, say. I would have still had the courage and the guts and the love of Jesus Christ to enter into this world and this life and this ministry now that the world is not at peace and the church is in a little bit more crisis. And it's hard to know who to look to and who to trust in a way that I didn't feel like if it was the case when we were kind of coming of age in our faith. Right. And I really hope and I'm grateful for God to God for that gift. But now we have to consider like what kind of people I think of the heroic I and not, you were a heroic guy and the priesthood is a heroic calling. But in light of the abuse scandals and everything that's happened in recent years, the kind of guys that are going into the seminary now, like we're gonna be producing some some pretty um 
rock solid priests, I think, in the next coming years, because this is not an easy time to go into something like the seminary. This right. is not an easy time right. to become a focused missionary, say. This is not an easy time to enter into that kind of life. And I feel like for me, it was easier, you know what I mean? Because right. of sort of a safety. And that's what Jeremiah, but God used that with Jeremiah, this right. period of peace, this period of inspiration, the good, holy king to draw him into this life right. so that he could do the really hard work that was to come. Right. And of course, this is where all of the readings are headed, are taking us. Yeah. Anyway, that was my reflection. I want to amend something that I started the podcast with. All right. Um, uh, Pashur didn't say like, oh, the prophecy uh, pro- did not prophesy to Jeremiah and say, I'm going to call you terror on every side. Actually, the what Lord's happened is that for you. No, the, Jeremiah said that to Jeremi- Pashur. Right. Yeah. But then what happens is that then the people, both in Psalm Magor 31. Magor Misabib. Magor Misabib. Um, so, but people, they actually flip it on to Jeremiah. Let us denounce him. Let us denounce him. Yeah. Tear yeah, on right, every right. side. So, so what he prophesied against Pashur, yeah. th- they actually start they saying against, against him. They used against him. Yeah. And you can also see it in Psalm 31. And As a so, mockery. Right. And he was saying it in a, in a very, like he had a, a weight, a, a seriousness to what he was saying. They use it as a slur, as a slander, as a mock, which is, is powerful. Right. Which is, yeah. which is like when you, when you're like saying like, Oh, when you have something really serious to say, and then they just turn it on you. Yes, right. No, you're absolutely. Like, and you're like, oh. And that's why he responds the way he does. He's like, oh my gosh, you know, this is horrible. They mock me. There's, there's all this different stuff. You duped me. Right, and and you duped me, Lord. Like you, you gave me this, the this thing that I was thought was going to be this great transformation. Because you don't do stuff unless you think it's going to have a really like a good effect. Right. We don't choose evil. Right. Right. We choose good, or we choose what we think are goods. Right. Yeah. What we well, what we know to be good is as the best we can. Yes. Yes. And then then he's saying, but like, I yeah. I do think even people who are choosing objective evil right. are choosing what they think are goods. But, you know. Yeah. Or or seeming right. goods. Right. What exactly. Look like and that, goods. Thomas would agree with that. Yeah. 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 But this is what I love about Jeremiah is that um, this is an example of. We talk about this a lot. This is there's no pious platitude in this. No, there's not. We're and I love. I like that. I respect that. We're getting an inscribed version of of what it really feels like. Right. And like to and to so to pray with your feelings and an honesty toward God. Right. He's not giving. God, God doesn't need our pious platitudes. Right. God needs our hearts. God needs our honesty. Our our levav. Right. The heart. The will. And he's working it out. I the word of the Lord has brought me reproach and derision all day long. And it really has. We just saw that. Right. I And then you're like, I'm done. He yeah. just says, stick a fork in me. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's I like, cannot endure it. But then, but then he says, when I'm done, I, I can't do it. I can't not be done. Right. Right. And so, so like, and he's like, it, it actually kills me just as bad to hold it in as it does to get it out. Yes. Right. And, and that's actually, man, talk about a prayer that, that's like, the, it, 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 this is all leading. These are all this, the, the, um, contractions and releases that that it takes to actually live in a surrendered life to God. Right. Because you're like, what are you doing to me, Lord? And, and yet, Lord, I give myself to you and you got to take care of this. And and this is such, this is what it actually, this is, if anybody ever wants to say that, that religion is the opiate of the people, this happens huh. in everyone. Yes. This is, this is what it's like to follow the Lord, not... Not some sort of like, it's oh man, I'm just like not flo- floating on bliss no. and I'm not all blissed out and like. And if that's zen. the Christian experience for you, then you're not doing it right. 
quite frankly, I mean, I don't know how that sounds, but Jesus promises the cross. Right. He promises that if you follow me, the world will hate you. And that shouldn't be a surprise. And I, I, you know, we can we can take that in the spirit of fear or just like, look, it's it's going to be hard. I was listening to uh, one of the many podcasts that I've been listening to lately, and I've, it's some evangelical pastors because I want to know what they're saying about stuff. And they were having this discussion about, you know, somebody was like, you know, all the stuff, there's hurricanes and, and fires and pandemic and all this stuff. Like, is are these like apocalyptic signs? And how do we read this based on the Old Testament and stuff? And and one of them had this this very insightful response. He was like, look. This is to sort of suggest that the world is not broken anyway. Like when we see, oh, there's natural disasters and there's all these things happening. Is it the apocalypse? Maybe. And maybe Jesus is coming soon. But we got to be careful in our discernment of that because to simply go, well, it must be the apocalypse. It must be the end is to suggest, no, the world is broken. And it's been redeemed by Jesus, but we're still waiting to see the fulfillment of that. In a certain sense, we should expect hard times. We should expect that the cross will come. We should expect that the world might not always like us for our faith. And we should not be completely shaken to our core when those things happen, when a broken world looks broken. You know what I mean? Yep. Until we have the veil lifted and we see what Jesus has done in its fullness. And I, I'm not doing justice to the conversation, but I was like, oh, that's a good that's a good insight. Because you're just talking about the cross. We should expect the cross. And, and if the cross doesn't come on a particular day... Praise be to God. That's awesome. You get a breath. One well, and the danger for Christians is that when we get tired of it, yeah. And and this is actually this is this is the grand temptation I think that actually we're working with within the world right now hmm. is it we're going to get really tired. Right. And we're going to get tired of everything. Right. If you're tired of the pandemic, yes. <laughs> if you're tired of work and kids at home trying to do home learning, <sighs> Yeah, learning right like Ugh. if you if <laughs> if you're if you're tired of of the those strange interactions which you're having with your relatives and if you're tired of your masks if you're tired of you're not tired masks, of people at target not being able to understand you through your masks dude <laughs> you i'm keep a, saying what what dude i'm, I'm already a little that. bit hard of hearing did you know this no i didn't yeah i'm just a little bit hard of hearing because I, I did a lot of punk concerts when i was no. younger and well uh, then for good reason i've got the tiniest bit of tinnitus in my ears and like and so it's like, it's one of those things to, to where I am. Um, and with masks, I am saying what to everybody all the time. Right. I'm tired of that. Right. And, but right. this, and, and this is, this is what happened. But then it's exactly in getting tired of things yeah. that, or tired of the cross. You're like, I don't like that my daily cross. I don't like the right. way in which all of this, like, like the normal things. I'm tired of the way in which I'm poor or I'm yeah. mourning or I'm, you know, having to try to make peace between people or do right. HR stuff or, you know, like that the, the temptation comes in. <laughs> that's, that's, I just cool. like that your extremes are either poor or doing HR stuff. <laughs> Sorry, it's just stream, it's stream of conscience. That's <laughs> right. good. Right. But the temptation of Satan comes in in those moments to say, you, you don't have to carry it. Yeah. Let me actually show you how you can you can let this go. But but let's look at Peshur then. Let's let's change it. Let's right. change the analogy to somebody we do have some confidence in. Peshur, who is being horrible to Jeremiah and abusive and all, doing all the stuff. Why is he doing it? Because he seems to be at least if you if you spin it in the best possible light, he seems to try to be maintaining a sort of peace in Jerusalem. He's like, you're going to rile the people up. Everyone's going to get freaked out. They're going to be afraid. They're going to be in terror. They're going you know the Babylonians are already scary enough. Just chill out, man. Stop it. 
I'm trying to keep the peace here and you are trying to disrupt. And I think in his mind, you know, even though he's, he's using all these evil means and everything and he's going against the will of God, I think he's got to think like, no, I'm going to relieve the people of the cross. If you tell them this, they're going to get freaked out and they're going to the, feel the, we're guilty. We're going to get pulled and, off into Babylon and the, the, the invaders are coming in there. You can't do anything about it. Then I can't do my job, which is to stabilize the people. Or even, even aside from that, they're going to be so guilt ridden by our own sin. Let's not talk about the sin. Let's not talk about the idolatry. Let's not talk about, you know, using and abusing the poor. Don't worry about that stuff. I want people to just be okay. And we have a world that just wants to be okay and not deal with our sin and not reckon with the ways in which we've fallen short. And our world has fallen short and we are broken. You know what I mean? That's also what I see in Peshur. And then the consequence that will come with Babylon and everything else. But like, no, don't tell people they're bad. Don't tell people they're doing bad things. Just they're fine. Everything's fine. Shut up. And that is really, in a lot of ways, the response to Christianity from the world. Stop saying that. You're going to make everyone feel bad about themselves. And that's not the point of Christianity either. But we do need to reckon with the brokenness. Because if you can't recognize your brokenness, you can't ever actually receive healing from it. If we never ask God to heal us, he can't heal us. I mean, he can, he can do whatever he wants to, but he's not going to do it without our permission, which I think is what the responsorial psalm is all about. That's what I was going to say. For you, my soul thirsts in a land parched lifeless and without water. Yes. And speaking of, of, um, what did you say before? Uh, Not impatience. Um, What did you say? Like you get tired. it's long. We're, we're tired of it. You just get tired of it. You get exhausted. Yeah. Thinking about Jeremiah. Jeremiah has been called by God to do this particular thing for the glory of God. Right. And he never gets to see the fruit of it. He watches Jerusalem crumble and burn and get destroyed. And his people hauled off into exile. The end. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, that's it. He doesn't get to see what actually he is the prefigurement of. That the cross that he is carrying in this way is actually a prefigurement of Jesus carrying a cross unto glory. Right. And Jeremiah, he sees it, you know, pray, pray be to God in heaven, but he actually, I mean, you talk about being impatient with something and never getting to see, you know, how long is this going to be? Right. He never in his life gets to see it, but thanks be to God from our point of view that he was there to lay the groundwork for the salvation that God was set to offer. Right. Because he begins to teach us what the psalm is saying. His soul was thirsting for God, his Lord, and he never really got to see that fulfillment in his lifetime. But even the recognition of the thirst, I think, is so much of what our world needs because mm. the hard times are going to be here. And if the, once the pandemic is gone and the hurricanes end and the fires go out and, you know, a magic, magically racism is eradicated, like all, if all the ills are taken care of, more crosses are going to come. There's just going to be new evils. There's going to be new things to carry. Like we're never going to this side of heaven feel the relief. And so what God wants of us is to recognize what our thirst should be. Other, rather than being the pashurs of just saying, it's fine. I'm just going to make do. It's good enough. Right. It's good enough. Yeah, I know there's all this idolatry and sinfulness and you know Babylon's breathing down our neck. But it's good enough. Yeah, God might be out there, but he's distant. He's far off. I can make an alliance with the Egyptians, though, because they're right there. I can offer you know, sacrifice to this idol because it's right here and it makes me feel good. I can go to this you know, false liturgy or abuse this poor person because it feels good in that moment. And I don't have to deal with the fact of what my soul actually thirsts for, which feels unquenchable right now. And 
I think the psalm is trying to get us to recognize that there's only we all have this deep thirst and desire in our humanity, and there's only one thing that will quench it, and the very thing that will quench it is sometimes hard to see, or the very one who will quench it right. is hard to see. Does look, that make any sense? Is yeah, that I mean, coherent? But, but then in the psalm, the psalm's answer to that is, I look to you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory, for your love is better than life, and my lips shall ever praise you. I will bless yeah. you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands, calling on your name. My soul shall be sated as with choice food and joyous lips my mm-hmm. mouth shall praise you. Um, and, and like... This is the thing is that is that true worship does actually have a little relief in it. It, it does. And, and I don't and that's why I'm hesitant because I don't want to make it sound like everything's always going to stink and that'll always be the case. Well, no, I mean, but that we'll but always that's have also, the cross. That's also where we talk about the the idyllic time. Yeah. And 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 if you want to look like oftentimes the the most idyllic times in our lives are those moments of conversion. We look Absolutely. back and we tell that story Absolutely. of like the Lord took us in the des- into the desert, wooed us and then sent us into the, back into the city and we we discovered the believers, we Absolutely. discovered the Eucharist, we discovered Vatican Council 2 documents, we discovered the the catechism, we discovered the yeah. saints, we discovered Mary and like and we're like, "Oh my goodness, look at this tremendous treasure trove of salvation right. history that right. keeps going and right. I can choose to be a part of it and I can I can jump in the stream and get some kayak on, you know? Like, <laughs> I love some kayak. I'm, ca- I'm kayaking in the stream of salvation history. And yeah, like you said, sometimes God is good enough to give us the emotion along with it. Right. And I'll, I'll you know, I remember when I first rediscovered the rosary in Montana with a guy named Scott Kowalik, and I actually rediscovered it and I felt something. And, you know, there's all these times later on that I pray the rosary and I don't feel anything. And I do it and it's an act of the will and we do what we do because love is a choice. But then there's those little moments and God's like, don't forget, like it is both. Like I I did, I I will satiate you and I will give you that relief. I won't always give you the relief because there's work to do, Mm -hmm. but it's still there. Right. And all of that is a foreshadowing and a taste of what is to come in the beatific vision. Right, which- So we know what to look toward. Right, which the work we get to in Ephesians- Romans. Romans. Oh, sorry. Yeah, look, I was looking at the gospel the acclamation, which is, ju- which, gospel is, which is as long as the reading from Romans. <laughs> which is quite short. Um, yeah, one to two. It's two yeah. verses. I mean, two. Yeah, but I don't know if it is. We'll see We'll see what the liturgical books actually say. Ah, uh, yes. The, uh, Verbum is probably wrong. USCCB is probably right. You never know. But I urge you, brothers, to offer your bodies, uh, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay, so this is the thing that I've been, I've been like looking at. You know what is no fun? Offering your body as a living sacrifice. Yeah, offering <laughs> because because like True. when you when you give yourself to say the truth like Jeremiah did, mm. it's not some sort of intellectual exercise. This isn't this isn't just like, ooh, this is a nice idea and I can go home and I can just go and, you know, read my Aristotle and be done. But this is important. Which, which, by the way, I've been I've been going back through the physics. So, like, have you really? Yeah, at night, oh. I because I am absolutely in love with the the um, uh, causality according yeah. to because um, for for Aquinas, causality lies in I mean, uh, knowledge laws is not lies in causality, and so I've been trying to do original source understanding of causality nice. according to Aristotle, which is which is really going helped. back to the first principles, man. Right, and it helps me fall asleep. So <laughs> <laughs> I can appreciate that because it's really dense, but but. Oh, go for it. It's your whole life. But it's not just, y- yes, y- absolutely, 100%. It's not just Aristotle. But go back, no, 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 it is. But, well, it's not. Yes. <laughs> um, but go back to <laughs> Jeremiah. And, and this relates, I think, in a, in a very direct way to Romans. As we've been trudging through Romans, 
leaping through I, it's it's good i love romans leaping um, like a trudging stag. makes it sound like it's horrible but i like romans so i'm leaping like a stag through romans i think you're kayaking through the stream of salvation you're really big on the kayaking today man yeah it's because well, it's the stream dude the stream all right but jeremiah um is spending himself he is offering his body as a living sacrifice right in a very real way whom is he offering his body as a living sacrifice for he's offering it to god but whom is he offering it for? He's offering it for the very people who are trying to kill him and beat him and mock him and stone him and hate him. And Jeremiah, I mean, this is part of the, the agony that Jeremiah must feel. He, know he's, he knows he's doing it out of faithfulness and obedience to God, and that's good. But he's doing it for the sake of the people, the very people who hate him and mock him and want to kill him. Otherwise, what's the point of any of his messages? Other than, you know, nah, 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 you know, God's going to punish you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, we need to wake up. We need to listen. We need to turn back. We need to repent. We need to clean up our acts because these things are coming. He's doing everything he's doing for the sake of the very people who hate him. Hmm. And I bring that up and I connect to that because, and it's not exactly the same, but it's important. We've been talking about Romans and where this passage comes in Romans. We've been plowing through Romans. Paul just finished talking about in chapters 9 through 11, the section on why didn't so many of the Jewish people accept the Messiah? And how is it that now in Rome, in the church, there is this weird ethnic dispute and hatred between these two groups of believers who have both committed themselves to Jesus Christ and both hate each other? And why aren't you weeping and mourning over those who have not accepted the Messiah and who have not seen what the covenants and the prophets have all predicted and foretold and why aren't you mourning and feeling more pain over that as Paul himself says he is so actually therefore and we don't have in our translation here in this reading the first word which is therefore which I think is important because this passage needs to be directly connected to what came before it which is why aren't you mourning and grieving more from the pe- for the people who have not seen Jesus and have not experienced him, and maybe who most of anybody in the world should have. Why are you not mourning? So, therefore, I urge you, and actually, uh, what's the, para, para kalo, I think is the word in, in Greek. What, what are you looking for? The, the, Where it says, I urge you. It, uh, it, I appeal. Actually, in Greek, it just says, please. Para kalo, yeah. Para kalo, which para just kalo. means please. And so the most literal translation is, please, brothers and sisters, just offer your bodies as a sacrifice, which it made me chuckle when I saw that. <laughs> But it, it, it's very, there's something like, I urge you or I appeal to you. It sounds very, you know, verbose and weighty. But he just says, please. Please, therefore. And why is he saying please? He's bodies. like, he just said, my brothers, my brethren, my own family have not seen, so many of them have not recognized the Messiah. And you mock them for it. And you scoff at them for it. Those are my people. That's my family. These are my brethren. So please. Church in Rome, who are my children, my who I shepherd, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. To whom? To God. For whom? For the people who have rejected you, who have persecuted you, who have kicked you out, who scoff at you, who you in turn scoff at for their rejection of what is true. Offer yourselves for them. And that it gives a context that's not just let your bodies be an offering. Let your life be. Yes, our lives should always be an offering. But offerings always have two components. And this is this is temple language. It's sacrifice language. We always sacrifice to God, but we always sacrifice for something. 
our penances. When we go to confession, we get a penance, which is to make right in some little way in our life what we have made wrong through our sin. And what was made wrong is this division that the people for whom Christ have di- has died hate each other right. and are at each other's throats. And he says, right. let your bodies be a living sacrifice. Sacrifice yourself for those guys. Those guys? Yeah, those guys. And there's a, there's a reality to what he's saying here. And he's saying it really to this community. Offer yourselves for each other. And, you know, I don't know what your guys are like, what your lives are like, or your communities, or your parishes, but I know what it's like here and, and everywhere. I mean, this is universal. We all, everybody's got different opinions on right. the pandemic and politics and the presidential race. And, like, even within churches, everyone's at each other's throats about everything. And we're so tense and we're so angry. How do you respond to everyone out to get everyone else? Well, the response that Paul asks us for is to offer your very bodies as a living sacrifice. Because it's one thing in the Old Testament system to offer a dead animal as a sacrifice. That's easy, relatively. It's another thing to offer yourself on the altar as a sacrifice to God. Yeah. Anyway, that's an important context, I think. And that leads us, I think, directly into Matthew 16. Yes. Which comes hot on the heels of what we talked about last week. It's right after the giving of the keys of the kingdom to Peter, when Peter is declared the rock on whom Jesus is going to build the church. When he is, he, Peter has the, the courage to declare Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God, which you killed in your homily on Sunday, unpacking that scene and that setting and the context into which those words are spoken. And then immediately things go downhill. Which, again, I go back to our analogy of the 90s, of how great the 90s... You guys, the 90s were great. If you weren't alive in the 90s, you totally missed out. Right, and then, then but then you hit the, the long land to 2002, and things got crazy. Yes. At 2001, you had our world... Our, our world stripped out from under us when 9-11 happened. And all right. of a sudden, this little safe world that we sort of existed in is like not safe anymore. And there is threat and it's dangerous. And what the heck are they out to get? It? And then, again, in my own life, when, kind of was leads... It, was it 99 that Columbine happened? Oh, in Columbine, yeah. Colum- I think something like that, 98, yeah. 99. Yeah, it's like... I re- and be, everything begins to be like, oh, the world's scarier than we thought it was. Right. Which is... Is this in a certain way, right? We have this beautiful, profound moment of Peter's proclamation. Jesus makes him the rock. Everything is awesome. And then like that, it turns. And you're like, oh, things are going downhill fast. We, we, you know, Peter came in in this heyday and this wonderful moment. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is like, all right, now let me tell you what that means. So you called me the Christ, the son of the living God. Now let me explain to you what that's all about. And it says Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer greatly from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed on the third day and be raised. Which I don't think we can feel the full weight. Like, we have 2,000 years of hindsight of the story of the Passion. We know what happened. But if you're Peter... And you have just been declared the prime minister of this new kingdom that is about to come into the world. And you're like, this, this is amazing. This is the best, biggest opportunity of my life. I was a fisherman. I wasn't a very good fisherman. And now I'm a prime minister of a new kingdom. Like, this is awesome. And he's like, oh, by the way, we're going to go to this city and they're going to torture me and kill me. And you're like, wait, wait, what? Right. And his knee-jerk reaction, of course, is, no, God forbid. He rebukes Jesus. Never rebuke Jesus. No such thing can happen to you. And he turned to Peter and he said, get behind me, Shatan, the divider. You are seeking to divide. You are an obstacle. Do you, did you check this out? The word for obstacle in Greek? And I can't remember what the word is. No. Do you know what it is, though? 
it means you're a little stone that people trip over. Mm. Do you see the irony? That he just is. called him a rock. And right. now he's a, a, a tripping a little, stone. Right, exactly. So he's totally playing on that image. Don't let the rock of your identity in the church become a stumbling block, a stone that people trip over. Scandalon. Scandalon, which is pretty powerful of a word, right? You were thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. Right. Um, I mean, what do you say about this? Jesus is, again, trying to explain without... Well, read on. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The one thing I just keep coming back to about this line, because, again, as Christians with 2,000 years of hindsight and Sunday school and, you know, RE classes and masses and homilies and everything else we have, we hear the words, take up your cross. Anybody who has been a believer for any period of time, you've heard the words, take up your cross so many times. It's such an old hat thing to say. The disciples, the apostles don't have any other context for a cross other than capital punishment for someone who's committed treason against the empire. With, and they're like, with, what with, are a, you with a cause about? to shame them. Absolutely. It's a, sh- it's, it's a shameful death. To parade them, to parade their shame in front of the nation. Right. As a warning, saying, don't you dare try this, anybody else. Right. But, you know, just we hear the cross, cross, we are crosses on our neck. We hang in front of rearview mirrors, like the cross, the cross, the cross. They have no other context for the cross. And I want to be hard on Peter and the disciples and be like, what a bunch of boneheads you are. Don't you see? Don't you get it? But, you know, you declared Jesus is the king. You are the true king who has come into the world. And he's like, God has revealed this to you. Peter, what a, what a blessed point of view. You've received this gift of faith. He's like... Now I'm going to go be electrocuted in an electric chair. And you're like, what now? What are you talking about? Like, you got to feel the weight of, of Peter's right. hearing of this. But Jesus is trying to unpack for them what Paul will later say in Romans, well, this which is, is you got to be a sacrifice for these people. Well, and I think liturgically it's placed for us in the view of, of the struggle of Jeremiah, which is the temptation, which I don't want this to keep going. I, like like I, like I, I am yeah. I'm duped and I'm I'm struggling, but that that like Jesus is trying to explain through his life why this is important, but you don't. They, but he doesn't. But nobody gets it until it's all done. Do you think Peter feels duped right now? Yeah, you called me to follow you. I've been coming after you. I've been watching you do the, all these great things. I just made this declaration. You said I'm going to be your prime minister, and now you you tw- you pulled the rug out from under me. You're like, oh, I'm going to go die, by the way. See ya. But, but by like, the way, well, you and, duped me. Well, and this is also the struggle is that it, it like they're understanding the, the miraculous. They're understanding these things. But do they like and and they hear the word Basilea Tutheu, the, the kingdom of God. Right. When they have a reference point for that. Right. But then the king being killed. Is not a good is not good news. Well, no, because like it's not like the prime minister becomes the king. No. The no, prime minister loses his job. That's <laughs> true. I hadn't thought about that. Right. Like, yeah. like, like, if the king is done, you know, okay, you got the queen mother, but like, like, who's gonna? This is a bloodline thing, and so then there's like, there's like, I mean, in a natural capacity, yeah. but then you say the kingdom of God, like, okay, hold on. So there's a, there's some other conversations that we don't quite understand or know. Well, it's a funny thing because the uh, speaking of death of kings, when Jeremiah is called into ministry. I believe it's in the 13th year of King Josiah, who reigned until his mid-30s, 
when this righteous reformer king who was faithful to the word of God was cut down and betrayed on the field of battle and died in his prime in his mid-30s. Like, oh, a righteous, faithful king who called me into service, got, or I was called into service of God during his reign. And I was like, this is awesome. This is great. And then this king in his mid-30s, his right, this righteous king is cut down on the field of battle on Har Megiddo, the field of Megiddo, Armageddon. That's where that word comes from. Armageddon. And, you know, in a certain sense, this is Jeremiah's lie. Like, Peter is sort of, um, it's, uh, what's the word Sean Innerst always uses? The, uh, um... The, moving your hands quickly towards yourself in a circular right, motion. That's right, exactly right. But it's a, yeah, it's a recycling, not recycling. Ah, it doesn't Echoing? No. Of a mesis? It, it's like that, but I mean, it, it does echo yeah. what happened to Jeremiah in a certain yeah. sense. So Peter is, in a very real way, a new kind of Jeremiah. Right. That's, yeah. <sighs> which, which all of this is to say, like, it's so complicated to yeah. take up your cross every day and to say, I don't... I, I want to avoid this. I don't want to have to do this. I, don't, I want to yeah. get out. But then, and we might not see what the result of our cross is. And that's actually what the, the hard word of Jeremiah is. But sometimes we do. Sometimes we get that. But then we see Peter and we actually see what the result of actually following the cross is that ultimately he was crucified. But, Absolutely. But, but he had such an insight in peering into the sanctuary of the Lord that he didn't even want to be crucified in the same way that right. Jesus did because right. he's he saw the supreme dignity of that. And you hear this echoed from the saints over and over yeah. and over again, that, yeah. that if we understood in any capacity what the value of, of taking up our daily cross actually is, then we would espouse it. It's like, right. it's like the, 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 um, the um, Passion of the Christ, the movie, yeah. when he kisses the cross and, and, and the thieves mock him for it. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's actually where it's like, I, I've only had a couple of brief moments in my life where I actually could peer into the sanctuary mm. of the Lord and understand how that cross actually means something. Which is how Peter can do what he does later on, because like the psalm said, his thirst is 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 satiated in some way. Right. Not in fullness yet, this right. side of the Beatific Vision, but that's how Peter can be Peter, right? That's how he can later on write the epistles of Peter. That's how he can be crucified the way that he is, because he recognizes what his soul was thirsting out for, and he recognizes the way in which it's been fed. Right. Not in its fullness yet, of course, right. but he can carry his cross because he gets, yeah. And who does Peter carry his cross for? He carries it for the people who are crucifying him. Right. I mean, all the great saints, there's so many stories of these great saints that go to their death praying for and blessing the very people who are killing them. So I, I keep coming back to this idea that it's one thing to offer yourself as a sacrifice. It's one thing to carry your cross because we have hard things in our lives and we need to pick them up and keep going and trust that God will get us through. But it's a kind of another Christian level to offer your cross for someone else, especially for the person who maybe you want to offer at least for. There's the carrying of the cross. <laughs> right. And then there's the carrying of the cross on behalf of. Right. And that's where we hit kind of the next level of stuff. That's where Peter arrives. I mean, Jeremiah does too. Right. And then we... We might see the fruit in this world, and we might never see the fruit in this world. Right. And are we willing to go forward in that thirst anyway? Well, 
All I know is that uh, I'm thirsty for um, saying mass. So. All right. Well, have, have, let's get to it. Thank you guys yeah. for listening. We'll see you next week. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And um, take up your cross. And um, don't complain about it, okay? I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. That was, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was my joke. Actually, you, you, you have to feel what you've got to feel. And that's actually part of the gift of the cross. So we love you guys. And um, keep up. See you then. All right. Bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org A-I-C-T, and you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.